0: Hey, what's up, everybody? It's your girl, Aida Rodriguez, and this is another episode of Truth Serum. I want to thank you so much for the support that you have been giving us. Facebook, you have really been showing up, so I appreciate you. YouTube, you got to catch up. Twitch, you on live support. And Twitter, you right there with us. So I want to say thank you to everybody who's been watching, sharing, and uh, participating in the conversation. Everybody who's been donating money, we want to say thank you. And those of you who cannot donate money, we just want you to know that just sharing it, sharing it, creating awareness that we're having conversations with people of color about things that are about us, for us, from us, um, from our perspective without being edited or um, or monitored. Um, so I just want to say thank you to all of you. You can also check it out as a podcast. We are available on Spotify, SoundCloud and um, the podcast uh, iTunes as well. Um, I want to just say that this show today is a special show for me, and I want to invite everyone to watch this show. Not just This show is not just about Black women and Black hair, but specifically coming from the place, from my perspective and where I stand, I am a Afro-Latina Puerto Rican woman, the mother of a Black daughter. And it has been very important as an educational process for me that I honor my daughter's texture of hair, um, the reality that her hair is different than mine, and that I I am informed in how I take care of, took care of her hair. She's older now. And I just really want to share that with mothers who have children that are of mixed heritage. It is important not to erase the reality of our Black children and the importance of honoring their crowns. And a lot of times that comes with or all the time, it comes with education, uncomfortable uh, conversations and embracing reality that this hair and, and coarse hair and curly hair, they're all different and they all mean the same. So I, I just wanted to, to, to kick it off with that. Um, I have—I uh, mean, I'm honored today to have a conversation with three amazing human beings that are participating in this narrative in their own way um, and so we're going to have a conversation about hair today. Uh, as, a, as a Afro-Latina, it is ritualistic. If you saw my, H, my Netflix comedy special, you saw the beauty salon behind me. And I talked about how every week I'm Puerto Rican and Dominican and every week they would try to blow dry the Dominican out of me because the colorism and the anti-Blackness and the self-hate and the Latino culture is real. And we too deal with a lot of issues about hair and trying to meet a Eurocentric standard of what beauty is and it has infected us all. So we're gonna break it down today. We're gonna confront it. And then we're gonna talk about solutions and how we can make this this world a better place for our children, our black and brown daughters and sons and making them aware of their greatness and loving themselves from the top all the way to the bottom. All right, so we're gonna kick it off. So today, um, I'm, I'm having a conversation with three women who are powerhouses and, and each have contributed to this narrative in their own positive way, by way of solution, Ajua um, Asamoa, which I love to say her name, like she's Puerto Rican, but she's West African and uh, we talk about it. That's where we all came from anyway. Um, She's an impact and political strategist, founder and CEO of ABA Consulting. She spearheaded the introduction and the passing of the groundbreaking anti-air discrimination, the Crown Act. Hi. Greetings, good to be with you, sisters. I'm glad you're here. Uh, Mahisha Dillinger is the founder and CEO of Curls Beauty Brands, and she's the host of Mind Your Business with Mahisha on the OWN Network. Um, She also holds business coaching conferences on Black Girls Making Millions, I need to take one of those classes, to help other women navigate the corporate world and business landscape. Hi, Mahisha. It's coming straight from her her throne, (laughs) I need (laughs) one of those. Sulma Ashku Brown, she's an entrepreneur and author of I have the books here because I bought them for my uh, I bought them for my kid. Bad hair does not exist. Two languages because we have the issue, the infection in, in Latin America as well. And then the other book, My Hair Comes With Me, shifting the paradigm of what success looks like. Hi, Sulma.
1: Hola, how
0: are you? <laughs> I'm just excited to be here. Before we dive into the conversation, I just want to cite a few st- uh, stats from the Crown Research Study conduct- conducted last year. Um, uh, I'd like to highlight that, first, that fewer Black women, 69%, work in a corporate office setting compared to non Black women, 77%. Given that statistic, consider that once hired during orientation, black women are advised on grooming policies far more than non-black women. 35% compared to only 23%. So from the get go, it is assumed that black hairstyles are messy and a policy must be enforced to show how we are allowed to wear our hair at work. No. Furthermore, depending on what hairstyle you have, you are considered to be less prepared to perform a job. And um, if you look at the graphic, depending on how uh, your hair looks and what you decide to employ in terms of your own personal style and fashion, it is rated in terms of preparedness for work, which is absolutely ridiculous and ludicrous. So I wanna start off, um, Suma, I'd like to point out that you are a proud Garifuna for those of you who are not familiar, I'll let you explain what that is.
1: Sure, and thank you so much for having us. Thank you for sharing your platform with me. i mean, so so grateful, you know, you're my sister and uh, anything you need, I'm here for you. You already know that. But I yeah, I, I am a proud Garifuna woman from Honduras. Uh, the Garifuna people uh, were actually uh, born or created in the island of St. Vincent and the Grenadine, and uh, when the British wanted to take over uh, St. Vincent, the Garifuna people fought during the First World War, and they killed our chief, Joseph Shatir, during the Second Carib War. So about less than 5,000 of my people uh, survived, uh, waved the white flag. We were put in a nearby island called Bali Su, where half of my population perished. So the goal was genocide. For the Garizuna people, and then they figured, wow, the, the you know these Black Garifuna people—they're they're strong. Why don't we uh, ship them off to the Americas to be enslaved? So that was the second goal for the less than 2,500 people that were left. And divine intervention—a uh, shipwreck ended, uh, landed us uh, in the coastline of Honduras, where we came inland, and then we moved from uh, to Guatemala, Belize, Nicaragua. And from a population of less than 2,500, we have uh, about a, a million plus in the um, a million plus in the in the in the world, actually. So most of my Garifuna people uh, live in New York, <laughs> uh, the Bronx. So that's where I live, in New York, the Bronx. And we've managed to maintain our history our culture, but we're here in this great country because our African-American brothers and sisters opened up those doors for us. And I always, when I get this platform, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for your sacrifices, your forced sacrifices. Thank you for all that you have done uh, for my community and allowing us to come to this country. It's because of you that we're even able to have this conversation. So thank you. ajua
0: no, Um, adjoa, um you, I'd like to start with you telling us more about the Crown Act and what it does and where we are in the
2: process to getting our hair to be legal in the United States. Sure, so I too must thank you first for hosting this critically important conversation. Uh, my name is Adra B. Asamoa, since you put the little twist on it. Um, and I am the daughter of a retired political science and Africana studies professor who was born. Technically, under colonization, and what would essentially be say? Republic of um, Also, the daughter of a mother born in the Jim Crow South. And so, by the time I was nine years old, I had gone to the birthplaces of both parents, and I saw this anti-blackness sentiment on um, two different continents, two different countries, and decided then, as unbelievable as it may be, that I would essentially spend my life. Uh, moving African people forward. And by African, I mean those born on the continent, those throughout the diaspora. Uh, I am the um, strategist, legislative strategist, um, and I am one by training and by practice, but I am an organizer who is committed to racial equity and again, just moving my people forward uh, by default. I understand both the power of people as well as coalition building, and I have le- leveraged both to get legislation not just introduced but passed. Uh, For far too long, white public opinion has influenced policy in this country in ways uh, that is not equal to Black public opinion. And so I am later focused on ensuring that Black public opinion also influences policy. Uh, In terms of the Crown Act, which stands for Create a Respectful and Open World for Natural Hair, Uh, The history of it, because it belongs in its historical context, is critically important to acknowledge as well. So first I must acknowledge Congresswoman Marsha Fudge and Barbara Lee, who, uh, to my knowledge, are the first lawmakers to ever address this issue, at least in recent history. Uh, I am blessed to get to sit at the feet um, of Representative Marsha Fudge, who I get to also call mentor and learn from her and have been doing so for decades now. Um, it's important to note that it was during her tenure as chair of the Congressional Black Caucus um, when they wrote a letter in 2014 to the then Secretary of Defense about proposed ban, a proposed ban on um, hairstyles that disproportionately impacted black women in the army. Uh, all the women of the CBC signed that letter and essentially um, they had agreed to revisit that concept Um, by later that year. So I needed to put that in its proper historical context because history is important, uh, so much so that I must also acknowledge Congressman Cedric Richmond, who, uh, when I was tapped by my Sora Kelly to lead this part of the work, which is really a part of a larger movement that she's leading around the lack of inclusivity in the beauty industry, uh, I went to him first, as again, he was serving as CDC chair. And he vowed to support... Um, this campaign before I ever called any member uh, in any state legislature in the uh, country. Fast forward to Essence Festival and I was there on behalf of a client, ended up having a fabulous brunch with some uh, dope sisters who said that they wanted to tackle hair discrimination. One is a powerful executive, the other is a master marketer, uh, but neither do uh, policy or politics and I work at the intersection of both. Uh, we talked about it. I got to work sort of developing the legislative strategy, which differs from the legal strategy because I'm not a lawyer. Shout out to Will and his team, uh, and we decided what this process could essentially look like. And so we figured out the who in terms of the work, the part, the part of the work that I lead, the who, the what, the when, where and why. Uh, reached out to some members, uh, reached out to some um, members who are elected officials as well as some members uh who are leaders in the civil rights community, including uh Deltas, Lynx, AKAs, National Council of Negro Women, uh NAACP, Legal Defense Fund, Black Women's Roundtable, Table, National Action Network, um, and so many others who agreed to stand against this issue. So uh Senator Holly Mitchell was the first to introduce this um Progressive bill, uh, Congress, um, excuse me, uh, Assemblywoman Tremaine Wright also ushered uh, this bill to the finish line in New York. And we have several bills uh, that have been passed, seven to date. We have so many more that are currently in the works, including uh, Connecticut with Representative Porter, uh, Representative Carter and Louisiana. uh, It's been introduced in both. uh, chambers of Congress and so we are working diligently uh, right. to ensure this bill is not just introduced but is also passed and so we have some work to do but we are definitely making progress and seven seven states
0: that have already passed it so far. Awesome. So we're looking at a map right now. Um, so the Crown Act is law um, in the blue regions. The Crown Act is filed or pre-filed in the yellow regions in the purple regions the crown act uh filed but did not pass which is ridiculous and then the gray is the crown act has not been filed or passed so just so that to give people perspective on what we're dealing with when it comes to hair and black women and brown women this is 2020 and we are dealing with these issues. So when we talk about discrimination and racism and institutionalized racism, and we say that it is involved in every aspect of our black and brown lives, we are not exaggerating. We're talking about your hair. So I I I, I turn to Maisha because Maisha, my daughter is who brought brought you to my attention because okay. up I, I will tell you, like I have, a, I have conversations with her all the time, and I told her about all the guilt that I feel that I wasn't been able to provide her with the products that she needed, mm. and the stuff that the information that she needed about her hair when she was little. And she said, "I want you to release that guilt because I I hate to be the one to tell you that a lot of those pro- products did not exist when I was little." And so she said that she is she has found a new way for herself and a a level of esteem through your products because your products come with information and education about her hair. And uh, she didn't even know what texturism was until she started understanding. So I I just wanted to say that to you because when I reached out to you, it was like, it was, it comes from such a deep place in my family.
3: Oh, I love it. Yeah. It's interesting because you know, that good hair, bad hair situation and, and, And really, texturism, you know, curly hair is beautiful and kinky isn't. It's just another divisive tactic to keep us hating each other. And that we are very adamant against is like, We don't call it bad hair. We don't call it kinky hair. We call it coily hair. It's important to say, this is our texture. We love it as it is, the way God intended it to come out of the root of our scalps and just to find solutions for it, to embrace it in its natural form. Whatever it does, however it coils and curls and waves and kinks and, 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 and bends, that's your beauty. That's your natural beauty. So I'm glad that she's embracing it and she's right. Before, you know, when, when she was younger, there weren't a lot of options for us. That's why I credit the brand. Um, but now there are curls and then so many more to give us that opportunity to love ourselves. We were told that we weren't pretty enough because our skin was too black. Our noses were too wide. Our skin, our hair was too kinky. Our butts were too full, voluptuous. It's just so much thrown at us that it's up to us to change that narrative and then change how we feel about ourselves. And that's a piece of why I do what I do, because when you go out as a young girl of color and you feel good about yourself, then your confidence is boosted, right? So we want to help her start at the bare, the bare core, like the, the very beginning and the, the the core of where beauty starts is really your crown. So mm-hmm. let's let her feel beautiful with and confident that her curls are pop and her kinks are pop and that she's looking good. She's feeling good. She has a fro walk or whatever she may rock. That she's looking good. And so it's about building self-esteem and and then also just challenging what we've been told. You know, that I used to be the girl that when I had a it, I would straighten my hair because I felt, oh, I have to be pretty to have my hair straight when I was younger. So I'm changing that. You know, I'm changing that even within my family, with my girls. I have three daughters. Three. So mm-hmm. changing that and letting them know how how beautiful their hair is, how beautiful they are, you know, that's important. So We're doing it one step at a time, but we also, sidebar, um, because I heard some other comments about helping um, increase the inclusion in the black beauty space. Um, We are actually, I created um, an opportunity to help black uh, beauty supply store owners because they're cut out of getting the distribution from the Korean distributors, from getting the right prices and getting uh, financing, from just being treated like human beings. So we created an alliance and a network that will bring those black buyers directly to a distributor that's going to work with my alliance to get them what they need with better financing, with better pricing, with free products to help them and to promote and level level the playing field. So that's another thing I'm working on. I had to put that in. And um, we all the black, we've already started to get uh, people signed up and they're super excited because finally I'm going to help level the playing field and stop having the Korean dist- stores get the favoritism over the Black stores from the Korean distributors who prefer to service them and give us the scraps. I've seen that firsthand. So I'm gonna change that playing field as well.
0: Well, that's awesome to hear. The the need for Black hair companies versus the misleading white-owned Black hair companies that have put out a lot of, and uh, just put out a lot of products that are not just damaging to how we feel about ourselves, but to our hair itself, because a lot of times the products just don't don't meet the standard for black hair. And because it is, um, you know, it is always positioned as being difficult or hard or bad, you know, and people, you know, I, I, I dare to talk, take on all the topics because I think it's important for us to, to operate from this reality living in the colorism re- real world, I enjoy a privilege for being the complexion that I am and having the texture of hair that I have. And it is my responsibility to also st- uh, stand up to this false narrative that there is a thing as good hair. And- So, so you, 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 and, it's the favoritism, the privilege. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. And so, but, but to give you perspective, be, being for the Puerto Rican and Dominican, uh, where I'm on a different spectrum there because my sister is way lighter than I am, and so they tried to make sure that my hair always stayed straight so that it made me look whiter. And, and the 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 ladies, the Dominican ladies used to blow dry my hair out, would say, "I'm gonna make you look like you're straight from China." And I would be like, "Well, I, I don't want to look like I'm from China." <laughs>
1: wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you know what? And and it's so crazy and. This is what I see like throughout the book journey. I mean, I never set out to be an author. You ask me, when what, what do I want to do? It was never an author. And I became that out of necessity for my own children. I went to the sitter one time and my daughter's hair was tousled, right? But to pick a babysitter, you know this person has to appreciate your family, your values and love your daughter. And this is exactly what this uh, babysitter was. Uh, one day I went to get my younger daughter, then three and a half years old, and her hair was tousled. She had taken it apart. And the babysitter was so exhausted. And she tells me, And it took everything in me to respond from a place of love. Because I knew right away that my daughter was watching and a whole bunch of these kids are also going to you know, take my example on the way I responded. And what I told her was... Wait a minute before
0: you, before you tell her what your response... To- she told her, you need to perm this baby's hair because her hair
1: is bad, right? Mm-hmm. Right, that's correct. I'm sorry, I could have translated. But yep. yeah. So, so, what I told you, with all due respect, there is long hair, there's short hair, there is curly hair, there is wavy hair, there's braid. So I started giving her proper terminologies for hair so that my child or any children has to have their hair described as bad, any aspect of themselves. Described as bad lowers their self-esteem. And I was 100% against that. And because it was such a beautiful conversation, the caregiver opened up and said, you know, Suma, I'm so sorry. As a matter of fact, my father was an Afro-Latino from Puerto Rico, but every time I saw him comb his hair in front of the mirror, he would always say, I pelo malo, bad hair, bad hair. Unbeknownst to him that his daughter would be responsible for hundreds of kids. And what that made me do was I have to solve this problem. I'm gonna come and read a book to you, to the children. I'm gonna take it upon myself. But I, you know, I, I always tell people, listen, I'm from the Boogie Down, Bronx, you know, came here as an immigrant. I gotta keep it real. I couldn't do the poetry with my community. I needed to tell them exactly what braids were and show that in an illustration. I needed to show them what dreadlocks was and show the beauty in that in my illustration. I needed to make sure that I highlight the human experience of my community, the Garifuna community, the African American community, my Afro Latino community and the world as a whole. Because when we leave it up to media, this is what I found out, right? I can't have them teach our history through their lens. We have to take it upon ourselves as women as moms, as daughters, as human beings, to really ignite that flame of love and appreciation for one another. So, and that's and that's how my books, you know, became uh, became available. And my best friend, one of my best friends, Isidra Savio, she was the only illustrator that I knew, and she took on the project. You know, and sometimes the answer's right in front of me. But when this book came out, all of a sudden. I received so many conversations people telling me their stories their and how grateful they were telling me I wish my grandma had this book because my grandpa never allowed her to wear her hair curly you know and this book serves as a tool of empowerment for our community and the children of every other community I believe so thank you Aisha for sharing that because Term, relo- terminology and words are so powerful, and we have to give it to our kids very early.
3: You know what's interesting? If I can go mm-hmm. I, I, so curly hair, bad hair there, but here in the U.S., in the in the in the African American community, curly hair is good hair. Yep. So Puerto Rico, curly hair is bad. Here, curly hair is good but yeah. we all got it mixed
0: up yeah yeah because they every whatever they whatever tool they can use uh, colonization was the greatest mind school of all time so whatever uh, the further they can get us away from the proximity of whiteness to devalue us is the tools that they use ajua you were going to say something
2: i was just going to chime in and thanks for, for sharing your story and you again uh for creating sort of the panel that reflects what we're all working on because as we are working to create a respectful and open world for natural hair, which is the acronym for for CROWN, is critically important for us to recognize that while I may be working to change the law, we are really essentially working to shift culture as well. And so that's the beauty of this movement is that you have people who are talking about natural hair care products. You have people who are talking about, you know, becoming authors, not out of, you know, in design, but out of necessity. So I think the collectivity, as we see, you know, sort of taking over this movement, I just wanted to point out the importance of us not just shifting policy. The law is important because we need those protections. We've seen our children sent home, you know, Faith Finity and C.J. Stanley and, you know, Andrew Johnson, who was forced with a, a decision that a student, a Teenage student should have never had to make where he had to either forfeit part of his identity and have his locks viciously cut and his identity cut or forfeit a match, you know, that he had earned the right to, you know, participate in. so even with DeAndre Arnold down in Texas, we've seen our students having these negative school experiences because of their hair. So, again, I just wanted to point out the importance to culture and culture at the same time. So speaking of that, I wanted to get into, a young woman a few years ago
0: lost uh, her job at Zara because she had Bantu knots. Uh, we called them Nubia knots when we were growing up. And then you turn around a few months later and you see Marc Jacobs taking credit for uh, Bantu knots uh, on the runway. <laughs> wow. And I was wow. like, but it, but the the ridiculousness is that you see the Kardashians constantly appropriating black culture um uh, and and inhabiting you know the, re, the the looks of black women but black women are penalized for this and then they are glorified for it so i just i just wanted to point out because i think people i get the cynics and people say my god Ida is everything always dealing with race i don't think people realize that systemic racism is infected, it is has infiltrated all of the systems that we have to encounter from healthcare to even down to where our hair. So I really wanted to, uh, I really wanted to get into how it has to be an issue if there has to be laws to be created to protect women for their hair. And so I do, I wanted you to, to speak to that in terms of how much of an issue it is legally I mean from the perspective that you have to work on creating a law in the workplace for women because even when you say the numbers people don't really understand so I need you to give it to give it a a, a, a name and a face
2: and some additional color happy to so most people when they hear about this they are surprised because they think that it's already covered under uh, the classification of race but it is not without explicitly. Uh identifying hair as a trait associated with race, our hair is not covered. So it becomes important for us to amend the definition of race to include the traits that are typically associated with it in order for our hair to actually be covered. So again, people are always surprised and they're like, well, why do we need a law about this? And it's like, because it's not currently protected under the classification of race. So we have seen our upward mobility be impacted. We've had, you know, people who have been, uh, had job offers rescinded. We have had people who were denied unemployment. Again, I talked about just a couple of the cases of our students who, you know, where they were, you know, essentially denied having positive school experiences because of a decision to wear, you know, or even their parents' decision to, you know, lock their hair or braid their hair, which is beautiful really impacts us in ways that people who don't have this experience uh, can't necessarily imagine. So um, the law becomes important because without it, our hair is not covered. And we've seen the disproportionate impact of hair discrimination on black and brown, not just women, uh, but also our children and men as well. Although, of course, it disproportionately impacts black women. So I, I wanted today
0: is my godson's birthday, Jarell Anajah, and he's uh, 24 years old. And my godson is his father is Rast, is a Rastafarian, and he's had dreadlocks his whole life. And what people don't realize is that that is connected to his his spiritual and religious experience. And that that is not just because some white people wear dreadlocks because they think it's cool. But what it, what it is connected to a religion. It is collect. It is connected to his identity, his spiritual space and who he is as a, as a human being. And that is threatened, you know. Within when you see the young man whose locks were getting cut, uh, Maisha, you took it upon yourself to go a step further with your products and. And, and incorporate a an, an education component to what you do with your products. Yes. And I, I'm interested in knowing what compelled you to do that. Because to be honest, as a mom, going through a lot of products and not understanding what, uh, especially now, like I don't, I don't, there are so many products that I don't even know what they're for. <laughs> and not just my own dog, da- my daughter's hair, my own hair, you know. I, yeah. What is it that compelled you to say, you know what? We're gonna make sure that the education is a part of this uh, this business, which I mean, you're not obligated to.
3: I mean, it, it has to be. I, I don't feel like it's okay. Because we have to, if we're gonna love what we have and what we've grown out of our heads, we have to learn how to best take care of it, how to best um, beautify it, how to best moisturize, condition, shampoo it, and you know, give us the tools to feel good about ourselves. So you can't just do one without the other. I think it definitely is a no brainer. And for me um, growing up, I, again, I didn't have the tools. All I had (laughs) was a, a bore, a natural, not a natural brush, but a plastic brush, water and hair grease. That's what I had. No, no other information didn't know that, that that hair grease was so unnatural that it was clogging this you know the pores of my scalp that it was you know blocking out moisture that it was just full, filled with unnatural uh, you know horrible ingredients and 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 clogging oils and synthetic fragrances. Um, So it's important now to give those options above and beyond what we had growing up, but also to give the tools to do the best we can with our hair and learn what we can, how we can make ourselves feel good. It's all about getting back into that place of I love who I am. And if I'm mastering my hair and I'm mastering, you know, my look, my style, I feel good. I walk into the world with a different attitude. And that's the basis of everything is just walking into whatever space you're walking into with confidence because yes. we can conquer the world when we're confident. And that's just what it is. And so I'm taking the piece in the beauty world, but then there's, we have all these black, amazing stylists and this, and, you know, clothing designers that are just making us feel good. You know, the beautiful brown women we are.
0: So one, one of the experiences that I had with my daughter when she was little, uh, she was, uh, part joining a dance school and this was a Black-owned dance school. Um, and one of the things that was required of her was to put her hair in a bun. Now, she didn't have enough hair for a bun. And I was told that I needed to add some hair to her head. She was four. And so I decided to that we were not going to be a part of that school because... This is if I got to get this from white people, and then I come to black people, and they doing this to us too. Uh, and you know, we do it; we keep it so one hundred here. It really just it just pissed me off because uh, one of the a perm was suggested, and so one of the things that I do want to talk about because I think it's important that when we talk about perming hair, we're talking about chemicals. And as a parent, I was dealing with that from a health perspective, not so just
3: an aesthetic. You, at four, did you perm her hair
0: at yeah. four? Yes, they were like, you because in, in Latin America, they start per- perming your hair very young. And, you know, just so that you can look, your hair can look longer, it can look straighter. Like the
1: infection just runs deep in Latin America. And Sulma, you know what I'm talking about. That It is, it, it, it is so real. And it is the saddest thing because even as an adult, you, that thing hurts, okay? And I remember um, we had... Um, uh, my, my my brother was de- dealing uh, was uh, dating outside his rate. It, it was a it was a white woman, and I remember she was working for this this brand that created hair products. And she came into our home one day with a relaxer cream mm. for my then and, and asked and and told my mom through through me, "Hey, I brought this for Sulema. Maybe she wants to put this on Suleni's hair, just maybe." And uh, you you know me, I don't curse. Uh, but it took something ugly out of me. And this was before I wrote the book, before I became, you know, mother to my second child, before I came into full realization. I picked up that phone and I've never cursed anybody out to such a degree. And I did it in front of my daughter, my, old, my now older daughter. And I remember uh, she, she telling me, oh, my God, mommy, thank you. Almost as though she felt and she understood how much of an insult this was to our culture And and our race, and I entered that conversation uh, with with, with the young lady. You know, why don't you try it on your son's hair (laughs) to see how far that gets you, so you can understand the chemicals that you're asking me to put on my child's hair. So it was, you know, it was the fact that how 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 do you come into a culture and be uh, so ignorant? You also spoke about um, you know education and legislation, and all this is very very important and but i also feel that we have to start with our young people we have to start with our kids like my books bad hair does not exist and my hair comes with me shifting the paradigm of what success looks like is a tool that our kids need right now because you ladies are up there opening the doors of opportunities for us making sure that uh, these stupid laws right are are are, are done with But I'm here making sure our kids understand that they're going to be okay when they're, you know, ten to fifteen years from now. And if we don't support like books like mine and a whole lot of self-published authors, but we don't have a machine behind us, right? We don't have. We do our own marketing. We do our own grassroots. it, It gets built from from our heart, from our own experience for our community. If we don't deal with the children now and give these. Educational tool and make it mandatory for it to be in the Department of Education, however, we can make it. Then, whatever work that you are doing, they're still gonna have to do. Mm. But I'm, sorry. I'm, sorry. I'm not talking about just preparing our kids, I'm also talking about preparing the white kids. I mean, for goodness gracious, I don't want to get into this, but our milk is in them. Real talk, you mm-hmm. know? our milk is in them. So at this point, I'm saying I'm going to take responsibility and I'm going to educate them too, because there's no way that my child, my children, as hard as they work, I'm not going to have the current white children block them in the future. It's not going to happen. So we have to educate both of them.
2: I just wanted to add that while the acronym is is again, create a respectful and open world for natural hair, that protective styles are also included. So if you decide, one, and that's including if you want to put weave in your hair. Again, this is about protecting the right to rock our crowns however we see fit. So I'm natural, but I decided to blow it out. And that is perfectly okay. And I reserve the right to do that. If I want to wear a Lee's twist, you know, next week, I'll do that too. This is really about ensuring that we are not discriminated against for our hair. So I want to make sure that I added that piece. You talked about the... You know sort of anti-blackness that is within you know sort of the the latino community um and the african holocaust did a number on not just you know our folks who are on, in this hemisphere but also on the continent i shared that by the time i was nine i had gone to the birthplace of my father which is ghana anti-blackness can be internalized by black people as well so again colonization really did a number on us so while race may be a social construct and we acknowledge that there is no biological basis for race racism is still very real look
0: you just you just spoke from you just took a chunk out of my soul and gave it to everybody just now because when we have this conversation about anti-blackness it is It is not an issue that only exists on people who are non-Black. It exists within the Black community, which is why I always bring up school days. Like you hear the colorism. It is not, it exists in India. It exists in China. It exists in Africa. It exists in Australia. And it's because, you know, colonization was global. And so racism is a global disease. It is not something that is exclusive to the United States of America. So I appreciate you saying that. What I, I wanted to say was that You know, it's so uh, it seems so ridiculous to hear that there has to be a natural hair movement, that there has to be a crown act where white women are able to just do whatever they want with their hair. And there is never there. There's no that, that it is not a political issue. They can just exist in a space. And that is what we call privilege. Whereas we have to have conversations, dialogue, create laws, write books, create products to address. The reality of what it is to be a person who is of color in this country. Whereas, uh, for example, those of us who are uh Afro-Indigenous, right? And we we grew up wearing our hair braided because that was our our our, our Taino roots. And teachers at school would say, you know, unbraid her, um, braid your hair, put your hair in a ponytail. Like it it, it was, it's every and everything that we do. And so the fact that this has to be a movement is so indicative of how many problems we're having and how and I'm glad that we have these conversations now because before they couldn't and maisha you know they glamorize and they they glamorize this mixed look because it is closer to white hair and then they have products to glorify that but it leaves black people who have a different type of texture of hair out of that narrative and that is erasure and and it's 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 uh, it's I get frustrated
3: yeah so, that's
0: true yeah well, we so
1: to, you know we have to really stop it with with each other with this uh i remember when the natural hair movement came came out you know a lot of the sisters that wore protective hairstyle they were you know they were feeling a ways it's like so now you guys judging us that you know this whole, i'm like what do you mean like i i even go i don't even say natural hair movement often i say the back to you revolution you know wear your hair however you want to but just understand who you are where you come from and bring another sister and your community up in the process but also understand the history of wigs right is literally uh the history of the powdered wig for example it was to hide disease right so a lot of times i tell sisters like what are you hiding now there's nothing to hide Right. But that's just that's just one perspective. But I, I got plenty of friends with protective hairstyle. I even go a step further. I said, if you bring me, I have not done my research, but if you bring me a black owned company, right, uh, that is selling the wigs in support of the black and brown community, I will buy one just to support that sister or brother's business. Right. Yeah. So so it's like, where is it coming from? And where are you putting your dollars in? And are they giving back to your community?
0: No, one hundred percent. There are a lot of people capitalizing on black hair now. I, I, when I was modeling, I did a, a a hair ad for Dudley, and I didn't have. You see my hair? I don't. I don't have a perm, and I was on the cover of one of their books. And I, I said, "My the the contract has been over for a long time. They canceled me anymore." But do you know how I? I, I was a, a teenager. I was a young girl. And I didn't know how harmful that was because putting me on the cover of a magazine to sell a perm to black women and brown women who don't have this texture of hair is dangerous. It is dangerous, it is toxic and it is harmful. But then I come to find out that the company was a German owned company. So there was so many people capitalizing and still to the current day capitalizing off the traumas of black and brown people and that and and you know we we can talk about this for days um but the perms that i uh and and look i'm all about you being able to do that do whatever you want with your hair i'm never i'm never going to say that but i would tell you that as a mother when someone put a perm in my daughter's hair and i wasn't present when they did that as a tool to improve her life without realizing how much damage they were doing to her because culturally that's what we've been doing i i I do curse sulma and when i tell you that i did i was hot because we've been dealing with that ever since and she's 24. so people don't realize the scars that 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 kind of uh, stuff does and with latinos we gotta hold each other accountable because we are, we practice this in, in our language as well. When we say good hair and bad hair, we say things like you should marry white so that you can improve the race and move yes. us forward. Mm-hmm. And it is, it's, it's. I mean, it, it's old. It's tired. We're exhausted having these conversations.
1: It, it's ridiculous. And you know what? Um, I remember I went dread. I'll tell you the reason why I decided to lock my hair because I read that it was not considered well groomed. So I'm like, wait, let me look at my, at, my, at my track record and my resume. I've been the executive director uh, of our very own nonprofit organization, the Garifuna Coalition. I'm the director of operations for the New York City Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. I'm a homeowner of two houses in my community. Okay, And I'm also an investor of the only black-owned boutique coffee shop my community has seen in in, in over 40 years owned by two women of color and we still hire. And I'm also the author of empowering books for children and I use whatever funds I get to give back to my community. I said, I'm gonna lock my hair because I'm gonna show them how professional people with locks look to open up more opportunities for all of my community, all of my brothers and sisters. And I work, and as you know, I, for the New York City Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, it's predominantly vanilla, Latinos. So I am, I am, I am there to make a statement. I am there to make sure that we stop this nonsense amongst us. And I actually created an initiative to make sure we're working with our African-American brothers and sisters, because our, you know, the Latino issues and challenges are the same as the, as the black challenges. And I'm, and I'm including, uh, you know, black in general, because there's, you know, our brothers and sisters in the black community, come from a huge diaspora. You know, and even with the Crown Act, I I hope that you're able to include the the Afro-Latinos in this. You know, we represent 24% of the Latino population in the United States. That's over, you know, 4.1 million people. Like we have a voice, we want to be known and we want to be part of this because we're going to reap the benefits of it as well. So, it's a billion
0: dollar industry. It's yeah. a, when we did that panel for People magazine yes. in New York they were talking about how much money mm-hmm. black and brown people spend on their hair, and they were focusing on Afro Latinos because the infection in our culture is so deep, uh, because w- our value is connected with the way that our hair is. It has been embedded in us since childhood that we spend so much money on hair. We gl- we think it's dope to have hair like Asian people, like that. That's the the we we that's the they idolize this thick, straight texture of hair. How do we help you, Ajoa, in terms of what you're doing? How do how does the how does the community show up for you in terms of uh, helping you get this Crown Act passed all over the country?
2: Thank you. Thank you for the question and thank you again to you Sulama. So you you raise an important point. And while again, hair discrimination has disproportionately impacted Black women. When I say the diaspora, I am in, I'm talking about you as well. So for some people, it's a political statement. For other people, it is literally just an accessory. And for some other people, it is a you know a, a display of cultural pride. Our hair is complex, and the versatility is beautiful, and it means so many different things to different people. So again, just working to personally working to uh, you know, ensure that people have the the right to do what it is that they decide that they want to do with their hair. In terms of how to support the movement, there is a petition that um, people can sign who are um, dedicated to eradicating uh, hair discrimination, and that's the thecrownact.com. You can go and sign that petition. But in addition, please contact your state legislators. That's whether you have an assembly or a house and the senator. So there are two chambers uh, in the state legislature, but also your representative in Congress. And that's both the House of Representatives um, and as well as the Senate. Contact your lawmakers and let them know that you want them to support outlawing hair discrimination. That and again, to continue. Having these conversations that are necessary uh, that we've been having for you know so long that even predates uh, the Crown Act coming about. Again, it was created out of necessity. Um, continuing to have these conversations, con- continuing to you know push the needle, push forward, as well as continuing to shift the culture. So again, contact your your lawmakers, state level, as well as those that represent you in Congress sign the petition, share that, and then, of course, reach out to me if you want to get involved in terms of, you know, working on the on the day-to-day. Uh, and I need to acknowledge, because the erasure of Black women in their work um, happens too frequently, I just want to acknowledge the sisters who have been working on this since day one. Um, you know, I'm here just as a representative of the community and the team, uh, so that is Kelly and Orlina. And we have, uh, and people weren't talking about this issue. So this has been a very long-standing problematic practice. Hair discrimination has been so. Shout out to Marcy Polanco who has been doing wonders on the PR side and showing that you know people are carrying the story, talking about the work. Uh, Melanie, who's a creative genius, where you are again. We are working to shift um, you know sort of the whole narrative about what constitutes beauty. When you see those beautiful images of black sisters with afros and you know, that is Melanie. Um, And then AC is a powerhouse who's leveraging where she sits to move this needle forward. So there's a a very small, but mighty sister squad who has been working on this uh, since day one. And I would be remiss if I did not acknowledge them. So again, contact your legislators, both at the, um, and also at the local level Uh, it's been passed in several municipalities. Assisted uh, one of my stars, Jeanette, out in Ohio, just passed it recently at the at the local level. So contact your uh, elected officials; they work for you until you decide they don't, uh, and make sure that they know where you stand, not just on this issue but others. Thank you for
0: that. And we've we've posted the dot com and. Um, but you'll be able to come back to the show and see all of the information. So make sure you follow up with action because a lot of times we have conversations, but conversations are just the beginning of it here. We like to talk about solutions and forward motion and action, because if not, then we're just spewing rhetoric like everybody else. And we need to be, we need to be proactive about the, you know, the mishandling of black and brown bodies. And that is, this uh, This is all connected to that. Always, you know, trying to cut somebody's dreadlocks off. The fact that you think you can put your hands on our bodies is part of the, the toxicity and problems that we deal with in this country and across the world with white people trying to manage black and brown bodies and our hair is part of that problem. Um, Mahisha, you um, I really want you to, to speak to people who have children whose hair textures are different than, than theirs. And I'm not just talking about white women with black children, this happens also within our own community with people who have different textures of hair because they don't understand what texturism is. And so mm-hmm. as a parent, I think it's important for us to inform ourselves because our children, their self-esteem is connected to this and we need to be informed with how we move forward and make sure we take care of our children. And this is part of taking care of our children.
3: Yes, absolutely. Because I know um, my, I have three girls and, and one son and they all have different textures. You know, my oldest has the kinkiest texture. The youngest has, you know, a little finer texture in the middle. I mean, they all have different curly patterns. Um, but I remember growing up and my grandmother, again, she was totally impacted by colorism, texturism. She totally doted on her any, any of the kids of hers that had biracial babies she loved them. And anyone who could pass for white, she loved them. It was favoritism, hands down. She really, really liked that look. And so I remember being impacted by that because, you know, I didn't care about being in the sun, but I was, you know, even way darker, darker than I am now because I was in the sun a lot. And she would, you know, tell me to get back in the house and, you know, talk about how my hair needs to be straightened. And so she left a negative impact on me. So we, for me, I have the three, I have the four kids, three girls. And all of them look different. All of them have different textures. And I make sure to do a different have a different impact on them to make sure they feel beautiful with who they are and where they are. And it's just so sad that my grandmother had that so heavy that she really passed that on to me and hurt me emotionally. So, you know, that again, that's the colonism and you know, the man and during after during before and after slavery making us hate our, ourselves and then treat our children you know, and grandchildren in such ways that was detrimental to their, you know, emotional well-being. Um, So now I'm very hypersensitive to that. And so as I see, I go out of my way, you know, whenever I see, this is one thing that's super important. When we're out and about and we see a little um, chocolate girl with a kinkier texture hair, stop her and compliment her. We don't know who has said something different to her. I make that an Point to do that whenever I can. You're beautiful. Your hair is beautiful. You look gorgeous. Whatever we can do, because she's being beaten down by everything around her from TV to social media to movies and maybe even in her home. So, the ones who are more woke to what's going on, we got to help the next generation because hurt people hurt people and we have to stop it.
0: That's great. I I thought, you know, it was interesting to watch um, How to Get Away with Murder. That when Viola yeah. took off her wig, yeah. that was revolutionary. Yeah. <laughs> that yeah. she was just being her authentic self. And I remember the last episode when she was like, "You know what? If I, if I win this, if I lose lose this, I'm going as me. I'm not." Because she was debating whether to wear a wig. And I thought that I love the fact that they addressed it, addressed it, and confronted that on the show because you don't see dark skinned mm-hmm. women being that confrontational on television about the standard of beauty in America right. with regards to being uh, dark skin and having a different texture of hair. And yeah. I, so, I mean, I, it was a power moment. Cause I was just like, you know, we have to be collective thinkers about our communities because we have so many different tech, uh, so many different uh, hues within us. But people don't realize that black is a, is a spectrum that goes from the lightest to the darkest and we all belong to each other, and the reason why we're so varied is because of colonization. And so we yeah. we have to think about uh, ourselves as a collective body, and we have to stop, you know, dividing ourselves. My grandmother was a pro pro Afro Latina woman who claimed her blackness and, and 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 dealt with civil rights and came here from Puerto Rico and was told she was black, and still every week she was at that beauty salon getting that texturizer put in her hair and blowing that hair out and getting that doobie on her head because that still infected her into thinking that her hair being straighter would make her better. Mm. And so we, we have to be real about this stuff. So Sulma, you want to you w- tackle this from an educational standpoint, and you want to talk about children and uh, educating and informing our children and other people I, I, I adore you. And I, you know, you're my girl. I am done educating white people on on Uh, us. (laughs) I've had, I've I've reached the, the, I'm exhausted. (laughs) I'm not doing any more all lives matters analogies. (laughs) I, I just, I have to know, you know, when I think about myself, like I know what a dark and lovely permit, I mean, what a, what a clear all hair color is. I know what, uh, you know, I know all the products, you know why? Because it is in my face all the time. The education of white products and white hair is, and white beauty, and it's everywhere all the time. So for me, it's like, now it's their turn to learn about us because we have been learning about them for our, our entire lives. So when you, uh, when you talk about tackling this from an education perspective, how many people do you think that are non-black are picking up your books? Not, not a
1: lot. Not a lie. And I'll tell you what I wrote right here on my notes. They're judging the book by its cover. I have gone out to even predominantly white, I've been put in all kinds of environments in my books. And one of the comments that I got was, oh, that's just the book for, for, for African kids. So you're not even opening up the book and seeing the contents of its character, even though the characters are reflected inside. You don't know that I'm celebrating birthday. I'm celebrating love. I'm celebrating, you know, passing down a tradition from grandma to grandma, generational uh, wealth. You don't know that I'm making sure, you know, that, that we can also be doctors, lawyers, attorneys, be in, in, in media and marketing and all kinds of, you open up the book. You know and and we have found ourselves to always like you got to act yourself when was the last time you gave a card for example with a black image to one of your vanilla friends or white friends never right but yet we were okay because we had no choice bringing the books to our home because our children had to learn to read you know and we had to make sure that our kids use their imagination in terms of you can you see this white princess you can be a princess too you see this superhero you can be a superhero too right so we 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 just have to stop judging our books by its cover and understand that when we write these books we're writing it from a spirit of love for our own children and our community and in the spirit of the fact that we can be able to see each other as human beings period another thing i want to just quickly address is you know uh you mentioned uh, that some of the states have not uh, uh, passed the Crown Act legislation. I say, send them the book. Send them my hair comes with me, shifting the paradigm of what success looks like so that they can have like, depictions of what this really looks like. Every lawmaker should be getting this book right and and also can we create a relationship on how the the the, and i'm gonna you know i'm gonna ask for it right ida on how we can work together collectively you know we've worked through people in espanol we've worked through unilever but i want to have an important role to play in this all those people who, who signed the crown act petition there's no reason why they can't get this book as a tool to tell them, thank you, or this is how we're gonna continue to empower people. You know, um, Maisha, you spoke about, you know, uh, the, the the curly hair, but how can I work with you to make sure that once the kids, my, my, my daughter loves your product, by the way, <laughs> once the kids purchase the products that they can get, bad hair does not exist as a tool, as a, thank you so much, you're so good, here we go. We're par- we partnered with Sumo Arzu Brown, who has these books, to serve as a tool. I don't have hundreds of thousands of followers. I'm, you know, I'm a, what is it? I'm a proud black Garifuna woman still living in the Bronx, New York, which I'll never leave it. <laughs> because if I leave, that's called a brain drain. So what examples is my community gonna have, right? None, so I'm gonna stay. And how do we how do we empower our kids together? There has to be something. And Ida, you, you know, when we went to, you know, to people in Espanol, uh, you know, they're, they're trying, but it wasn't anyone that looked like me teaching educating us about our own community and they Mm -hmm. were traveling throughout the nation educating us on the importance of our community they listed
0: they have the tools they listed Zoe Saldana as a white Latina they didn't know the difference of an Afro-Latino and a lot of that is just about you know thank you Alina Uh, elena um a lot of it is just about you know uh information and education and us having the being able to hold the microphone to tell our own stories because a lot of times people want to you know like like um van lathan said when he was on here was when you want to be an ally move out of the way and let us speak for ourselves be of support you we don't need you to speak for us we need you to stand in solidarity with us um i want to invite everyone who's watching and because people will watch this we we have a pretty good we've been having a good uh, following and a good turnout and people do watch the show so i i challenge you because we do a lot of complaining let's focus on solutions how do you how do you focus on solutions is today is you go to support the crown act and you know turn out in numbers and let people know that this is important to us You go to Sulma's page and you buy her books and give them to the children in your village because they need they need to see books where they see reflections of themselves because they build esteem. And it is important that we program the subconscious minds of our children with things that promote who they are and how they feel about themselves uh, and, and that builds how they feel about themselves. Buy products from Maisha's company, which is taking the time to educate our children about texturism and the reality of that is their hair as opposed to just blindly buying products from people who give you celebrity faces who haven't done the proper research about the type of, um, you know, the I, Thank you, Mike. I appreciate that. Sorry, I just had to address that comment because he, see, he said, I, you mentioned I'm done educating white people. I hate to break it to you, but this Caucasian ally received a great lesson today through this conversation. Very eye opening. I appreciate that, Mike. That's what I'm talking about, because you came here today to see what I was talking about instead of letting CNN tell you who we are and what this means to us and giving you their rendition of the Crown Act. So what I want to say is to make sure that when you say you want to show up and you want to be part of the solution part of the solution comes with voting you know find out who in your community did not support the crown act and vote them out of there because that means they don't give a damn about black women and their hair right that's what you need to be you need to inform yourself locally um i want you to you know get those books for the children and the products because what i'm telling you as a mother of a daughter who we went through the journey because a little boy, a little Mexican boy told my daughter, how is that your mother? And she has good hair and you have bad hair. And we've been traveling through that journey since. So I think that it is important for people to understand that these kinds of conversations I I, look, I told you, I'm gonna do it. And and people get mad at me sometimes. They'll say, Hey, why are you talking about this? You are not dark skinned. You don't have the texture of hair. Well, I'm gonna use my platform to create an opportunity so that these women can talk about it. Cause that's what solidarity is. And um, you know, and I'm tired of people, I'm tired of putting whack products in my own hair that have done nothing. But because the reality of it is, is that I am a child of Africa. And regardless of how straight my hair looks, those products made my scalp so dry <laughs> and it yeah. was been so yeah. damaging to my own hair because people were putting you know uh head and shoulders in my hair and uh, and all this other stuff that is not it's not for my hair maisha right. you like you wanted to say something
3: no no i agree i agree yeah totally i mean they don't they're not formulating for you they're not formulating for you they're just put, for uh, with products that are created um by the non-black company for black women. They're just throwing sheets up in a bottle and labeling it to market it to us. This not beneficial. So just be aware, read the bottles, read the ingredients and know what you put on your head. Yeah. So as soon I tell them where they can get your book,
1: yeah, sure, you can get my book at nopelomalo.com, nopelomalo.com, or you can look them up, Bad Hair Does Not Exist, or My Hair Comes With Me, Shifting the Paradigm of What Success Looks Like on Amazon. Also, when you get the book, please leave a review because it, there's a whole process of review via Amazon. So if you, have a, if you have a school near you, if you have a teacher near you, please buy the books for your home. Donate a book, Maisha, I'd, I'd love to talk to you after on how we can work together. Ajoa, I'd like to work with you on how we can make sure we, we get these books uh, to the people who are in support of The Crown and those who need to be educated on why they should support uh, The Crown by visual depiction. So again, also follow me on, on Instagram, No malo underscore Sulma. I may not have hundreds of thousands of followers or an influencer, but my books are a key tool and they are the influencers.
0: And that joey you was going to say something so i wanted to close it out with you thank you sis again
2: for convening this panel to lift this critically important issue as we know again this is not a new issue and we are doing something about it so thank you again for encouraging not just the conversation but being solution oriented and utilizing your platform to do just that i only wanted to underscore the point in another life i served as an adjunct professor teaching african-american psychology focused on the psychology of the black experience and may or may not still be a licensed therapist um so as again as we were talking about shifting policy i literally wanted to just underscore that point of ensuring that we are telling our children when we talk about education making sure that our children know that they are beautiful and valuable the way they are, the way their hair grows out of their head is also beautiful. And just to continue to lift our children and ensure that they are in uh, educational settings that are actually conducive to what we want them to do, which is to thrive and to succeed. And so we wanna ensure that we're able to pass this bill uh, nationwide and reach out to me via social media. Uh, I'm not the best at uh, social media, but I definitely am responsive. So if you want to get involved uh, intimately in this work, please do uh, reach out to me. I'm definitely responsive. Time, but I'm certainly uh, responsive.
0: Well, we do. I, I want to say thank you to all of you, Queens, for, for joining me today. And I want to say thank you to the people who did show up today, continue to share this, this. All of this is connected. The The fact that we have to still tell people to say Brianna Taylor's name, that we still have to say Vanessa Guillen's name is indicative that women of color in this country have been exploited for their vo- votes and then silenced, their voices have been silenced when it comes to their traumas and their journeys. I will continue to use my privilege to, to always bring these issues to light because there's no point of us enjoying the feast if we are enjoying the feast alone so if we don't start thinking collectively we're going to be in serious trouble again i will always remind you to support people who look like you they know you better than anybody else so buy the products buy the book support the crown act because it is imperative that black women be able to go to work and perform and operate in spaces with peace and with all of the rights that are guaranteed to them spiritually, universally, and legally, and we will fight until those things become a reality for all of us. If we can't all have it, then nobody's going to have it, and that's where I stand. Thank you so much for joining Truth Serum this week. We'll be back next week, and uh, please support the sisters and and uh stop worshiping celebrities and these are the, the the queens right here that are making it happen all right have a beautiful uh beautiful rest of the week day and have a great weekend and uh get these products
2: thank
0: you